0: You're listening to Smart Businesses Do This. I'm Adam Lyons, and today I am joined by none other than the legendary advertising, copywriting, media buying, business strategist, Ron Lynch. And many other advertisements that you will have seen and have heard of, you may not yet have heard of this man's name. I can, however, say that I know him very well as this is the man that I went to when I wanted to learn all about advertising and filmmaking. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. Ron, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here and good to talk to you.
0: Yeah, same here. Man, we, I mean, we haven't spoken for a while. It's, uh, it's even though we live like an hour from each other because life and, uh, and everything's busy. But you, you know, going back in time just a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, uh, sure, I mean, sure. you've been in the advertising game for a, a very, very long time, right? Yeah,
1: I think uh, 20 years. Uh, prior to that, I was a CEO in a grocery company. So I was a grocery retailer. Prior to that, I was a I tell people I was a failed child actor. So that's kind of how I learned how to make movies was I was in them. Then I learned how to write them. Then I got into business and I learned the mechanics of business. And then I ended up leaving that uh, actually the week of 9-11 is when I
0: started full-time in the advertising industry. Wow. That's crazy. That's yeah. uh, that's like a, a massive transitionary moment, like for life and for you as well. So, you know, for, for everyone listening George Foreman Grill is obviously massive success. Would you mind listen And I know you've worked on like many other brands. Would you mind just sharing some of the brands that you've you've worked on? And then, um, and I know there's there's a lot to be learned from from some of those old school brands. And of course, what you're doing now is, is equally as interesting. But um, but yeah, if you wouldn't mind just just for the listeners, just so they can know a little bit. Sure, about
1: sure. I um, was fortunate enough to kind of catch on the the tail end of the George Foreman Grill. That's the what got me into this industry. I, as I mentioned, I was a retail grocer. And I had a friend who had an ad agency that had launched the George Foreman Grill and they were looking for grocery stores where they could do man on the street testimonials, which is something actually you and I've done together before, Adam. I, could, I had independent control of the, the stores and so I could lease them space at night. So I did. And that's kind of how I got into the business was through that contract. And on that contract, I left the grocery business and started working for this that same agency. So moving forward from... The George Foreman Grill, and we can talk about that account and how that worked if you want to. Um, I, I moved forward onto OxyClean, and uh, that was that, and Space Bags. So Space Bags is a storage bag that was owned by a guy named John Johns. Um, the guy lived north of San Diego, and eventually he sold that business to Ziploc for a fortune. Um, and that's one of the the things that we we've, we've learned is kind of we we have a two pronged approach with businesses. One is helping people with really great innovations launch, grow, and sell to huge conglomerates like Spacebag selling to that or OxyClean and Billy Mays ultimately selling to Dwight and Church, who owns Arm & Hammer Detergent. Um, some of the some of the accounts that I've worked along along the way is we, we turned Rug Doctor, which was a rental business, into a retail consumer device that you would buy to, to clean your own carpets while pushing the rental business in stores, and the, mm-hmm. which is really a chemical business at the end of the day. <laughs> then Johnson Johnson's been a client, uh, Samsung robotics, uh, particularly their vacuum cleaners. I've grew them from zero to a hundred million dollars in the United States and North America. And yeah, everybody's favorite is GoPro because that's, that's a great story because it started out at, I think $600,000 in surf shops. When we, when I met Nick Woodman, when Nick Woodman, and when we parted, I sold the media company that, that ran their ads. And I think we've, the, the company valuation at that time was three point six billion dollars, so that's so kind of like the 600K homework. K, yeah, uh, yeah. So
0: three point six billion.
1: Yeah, yeah. The valuation for GoPro at one, one, one point was three three point six billion dollars, and so crazy. that's that's been crazy. So yeah, and that's kind of been how I've built my career and, and my portfolio is. If a company's big, then they they pay for media and for advertising, probably at the full rate. And if a company's tiny, they pay for what they can afford, and the rest we do in stock. So that that's but that's been my
0: four hundred one k. All right. So so this is um something that I, I think is really key for everyone listening because the the people here you know they've got their own small businesses and they they want that home run, which which is something that you're capable of delivering. And I know the GoPro story is really fascinating because. I think there's going to be a lot of people listening to this that are stuck at that six figure mark and would love to turn their company into something that's worth a few billion. Would you mind sharing the, the big thing that you brought to GoPro? Because it was, it was one moment, if I remember rightly, that changed everything.
1: Well, I'd met Nick at the Salt Lake City Outdoorsman show. One of our, our business, new business development guy was a big, avid mountain climber and outdoorsman. And he was down there at that show and he called me and he said, hey, you gotta come down and see this thing. So I jumped on a plane from Seattle where I lived at the time and I, I flew there and met him. And it became clear that this would be a great direct response product, but it's a, you know, it's a, it's a show and tell product for sure. It requires television. Like you're not gonna sell GoPros on the radio. Mm-hmm. So we brought him back, um, his dad came in, the company at the time was his father who was his investor, his girlfriend who is now his wife and Nick. And he had a couple of college buddies that he was trying to prime to get into the company, which eventually he did. And we sat down and I wrote him a creative brief, which people were not doing at the time. And I wrote him a, I wrote a very long one, which is something that we kind of hang our hat on now, kind of inventing the long creative brief. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a shell and he literally, it was sat in my bed and wrote, wrote a half hour info commercial for him and fired it off to him. And he called me back, which was, which for him was very typical at two 30 in the morning. That was when he talked to Nick. He was like, Hey man, we're not going to do this. I'm like, what? You're not going to do this. He's like, I think we should do short forms. And I said, well, okay, that that's easy. Take your, take your 30 page infomercial script there and just take the staple out of it, pull it apart. Cause you got 30 commercials there. Cause that's really how I built the thing was in 30, 30 different sports. So we ended up picking 12 pages, 12 different sports." And we did short form campaigns and part of, there were, there are two real special things. I think that we we kind of forced the hand on early on. And that was, we wanted to make sure that the, that the consumer experience that we promised on TV was what they would see. So there's no, there's no audio other than music in those commercials. Mm-hmm. And the first shot that they see is the consumer. Well, it's actually the first shot they see is a product and it goes from a three second product shot to the consumer usually with a helmet and glasses on the position that you see when you fire up a GoPro camera, Like when you go back and check your footage on a GoPro, the first thing you see is your stupid face going, is this damn thing on so <laughs> kind of, kind of that image. And then the, the sports footage, but the goal there was to really encourage people to edit their own footage and get two cameras instead of one. Mm-hmm. So we showed two angles cause you really couldn't, you couldn't really do it um, well as a filmmaker without buying two. So we wanted to yes. kind of subtly do that. Then at the end of every spot, we created a consumer contest mechanism. And the mechanism said every day we'd give away a complete suite of our products. Go online, get a GoPro. Folks would go to that site. And uh, at, the, at the GoPro site, we weren't available at retail anymore. yet. Yeah. And the, uh, an interrupt would pop up and they'd put in their consumer data, their email address, and what have you. And then we could remarket to them and that would go away. Then they'd go to the site and they'd realize, oh gosh, I'm never going to win one of these because everybody's going everybody's to enter this contest. And what we had done is we had, we had taken surfing commercials and put them on networks that reflected surfing and auto racing on the speed and the velocity network and baby things on Oprah and Lifetime Network. So, we, so you tailored the ad for the right Audience. Exactly. We, yeah. and that's one of the things that we've really learned how to do that. I still teach people today is these, because of the internet and how well you can target trying to do great, grand advertisements about yourself and selling your product to everybody because you think everybody needs it is foolish. Yeah. Doing pointed ads about them and how your product fits into their life and make them the star of your ads is absolutely the way to go because everybody will stop and look in a mirror.
0: Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love this run. So, so I mean, so that's like one of the, the first big takeaways here is stop trying to like do it like a branded ad where you just talk about yourself and your journey and instead try and reflect the audience tailored message, how your product can help them specifically. Is that, did I get that right? Well,
1: yeah, and you know this from from your, your history and all the businesses that you've done. We, would you, let's say in the dating world, would, did you have canned things that, oh, this is what you say the first time you meet somebody? No, you assess the situation, you see what's going on and you evaluate, you tailor your conversation to the other person. And you, the great news is when I started out, you couldn't do that in advertising. Mm-hmm. Today, you have to do it.
0: <laughs> I love that. Would you, would you mind give an example of something you're doing nowadays that maybe reflects that? The GoPro cameras is something that everyone's aware of, but with it being changed now, what's like something you're working on at the moment where you're using similar kind of techniques?
1: Um, I'm doing, I do a lot of strategic work with a lot of companies. Um, let me, th- I'm, I have to think about something that I can talk about because of course everybody makes me sign an NDA because <laughs> we're working on their next, next campaign. But there's things that I own. For instance, we, we own a chair company mm-hmm. and uh, it's called the. The the product's called the Backstrong Chair. The company's called All 33. And it's just, the, the product was designed by the guy who designs uh, ch- seats inside of BMWs and a, LA's top chiropractor. And by top chiropractor, I really mean that. This guy, I have met every movie star you could ever want to meet through this guy and yeah. athlete. And like, he's really a really nice guy. And people truly go into his practice and, and utilize him. So we have this chair. And we got into the business because we had experience in in chairs and back pain and pain products. And we went to the natural place of you've got back pain. We sold a lot of chairs. Um, We launched this thing through Kickstarter and did almost a million bucks and then got into Facebook advertising and hung hung our hat on back pain. And about, I don't know, well, six months into designing the chair, Musk, Musk is one of his clients and, and Musk called us up and said, hey, uh, I, I'm and he suggested some design changes. And we said, yeah, we we'll, we appreciate that. And he goes, well, if you get if you utilize the design changes, I'll endorse the chair. But if you don't, if you don't, we won't. Oh, wow. Yeah, which
0: is kind of cool. And so he did. When you, when you mean Musk, you mean Elon Musk, right? Just to be Elon like, Musk. Yeah. 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 Just, so you guys are on last name terms. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. We,
1: so I would call him Elon, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so as, as that turns out, um, and he's not a tiny person. Um, and so he he had some good suggestions. Well, we'd taken that. His name pulled a few triggers with some of the other celebrities that were like, oh, but, wow, Elon helped you with this. We'd let, you know, one of those people was Tony Robbins. And Tony Robbins, as I think we all know, is not a small person either. He's a tall tall dude. And so if we could have this product fit him, and then from that, we had Shaquille O'Neal step into the fray. So we were getting people of all different sizes. And then because of this connection in Los Angeles and our connection to Guthrie Ranker, Cindy Crawford was interested. So suddenly we had this kind of bevy of stars that were interested. And... I was like, I would love to hire all of these people for ads, but I'll never be able to afford any of them. Like, yeah. this is not gonna be possible. So in a conversation with Tony Robbins, he said, yeah, I'd, I'd, can I invest in this thing? And we were like, you know what? We have an investment round coming up and we're not even in stock, you know, like we're not in A round, we're pre-A round with this thing. Yeah. And we're doing, We're business is going like gangbusters like, yeah, we could actually have another private round of investing. And we realized, what if we, in, in our investment circle, instead of looking for these people to be uh, in ads, we got them as investors. So I sent out a letter to this whole cavalcade of A-listers and said, well, do you want to join an investment club? Um, Tony's going to join it. Elon's going to join it. Matt Damon's going to join it. Cindy Crawford's going to join it. So suddenly people were like, in on that. Like, yeah, we want to invest in this thing. So now I have access to these people through, through this, but I can't, none of these people are going to want to go on television and say, I've got back pain. Correct. Like that's (laughs) not. And so I started to think about what the relief of this chair does and the relief of pain in your back does. And it increases blood flow and it makes you feel better and more energized. It makes you feel smarter. And I went, boom, smarter, genius this chair is ingenious. It's built like, unlike any other chair, let's hang genius on this because you can be an investor you can be an actor or you can be a musician, but all of those people that already have that fame are not necessarily considered smart. And they all they have everything else you can buy in the world except for the reputation of being a genius. Yeah. And we know that artists after they're dead, are considered geniuses. I'm like, I can give you that inside of this lifetime. And so we started with our first television ad with a friend of ours, it's it's a mutual friend of of yours and mine actually, Wynn Whitman, who's an architect here in Los Angeles. And we built an ad around him that showed the craft of his work, him utilizing the chair and that he in fact is a genius. And that became our prototype. And we went out and tested that ad and it went bonkers. So now we can plug in different celebrities into that same creative concept. Like with GoPro, it was be a hero. And we sold bravery with this chair. It's being ingenious. So selling the idea of genius, who doesn't want to be known as a genius. So now that becomes very attractive to that group of folks. So So I I hope that that that's relatable.
0: No, to- totally. And, and there's, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in because um, please, please. I got, got the benefit of, of knowing you for a while. And there are two hidden things inside, inside your talk so far today that illustrate your genius and are uh, things that I think the audience needs to pull out. To you, they're going to be super obvious. To somebody listening, you may have missed them. The first is Ron Lynch has focused on vanity. He mentioned it at the very beginning about you know human beings are vain. That's why we have mirrors in elevators, uh, which is something that, that Ron's told me about before. But the, the key components here is both of these offers are things that the person would want to say, I am that, right? I am a genius. I am brave. And you've got a perfect example of celebrities don't want to say I have back pain, but will happily say I am smart, right? That's, if I, did I get that right. Absolutely, you nailed it. This is the mm-hmm. change in brand
1: advertising. We used to, you know, at Wharton, they used to say, you have to have five brand pillars. Well, that's not how advertising works anymore because of the internet. Yeah. People want character traits. So people are codifying their own personalities and putting themselves on the internet. And they're like, hey, I'm a Prius driving, Caribou coffee drinking, uh, Lululemon wearing Nike person. And they start to codify themselves with these brands. Now you'll see this very much with, I mean, in our industry, there's the, the Lamborghini people and the Louis Vuitton people. And they're, they're, they're getting this association of luxury and wealth and power through brands, but every single person on the planet does that. For every Prius driver, there's a um, Tesla driving, Starbucks drinking, Helly Hansen wearing, Adidas person. Like, we codify ourselves with these simple brands, but that means the brand's got to mean something. It's got to mean a character trait now. Yeah. So we're, we all feel like we're, I think, superheroes or or Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and we get these badges and we codify ourselves with these badges. So what does your brand mean from a character trait perspective? Are you brave? Are you elite?
0: Are you smart? What's the character trait that you hold up there? I love it. And so, yeah, and when you're advertising based around that, that's when People are going to jump on board, which I love. Now, the second one, the second point that you've illustrated, but again, would be very easy to miss, is it's very hard to give Ron an objection that is ever that ever lands. And I want to show you guys an example of this. When he mentioned about GoPro contacting him at 2.30 in the morning and saying that they no longer want to go with a 30-page script, and instead they want to go with short form, I can imagine that many people's first response to that would be like, oh no, what's wrong? How come? As they think about all their loss of work. I can also think of people who would say, no, you're wrong. Let me tell you why this is what you want to do. And I can think of others being like, oh, oh no. Have you found someone else to go with? Your response was instantly, well, that's easy. Just take out the staple. So you automatically, it's almost like the objection doesn't exist. You've already made the movement to assume that you're working with them and that the work is is already there. And, you know, I hopefully, uh, you know, each page could have been used exactly as it was, but I'm guessing there was a little bit of tweaking that had to be done or, you know, some line that was on a different page, but it didn't matter. The essence was true. The essence was, you'd divide the script up to be different niches if needed. um, and so it it could function that way. And likewise, when, when it came to talking with the the celebrities, obviously you want to use the celebrities, uh, with the chair, they clearly like it, but they don't want to admit their weakness. So you instantly found a way that can work with them. And the thing that has always blown me away about you and I, I truly admire is it's not that you're good at overcoming objections, which is undoubtedly clear. It's like they don't exist when it comes to, you. and the whole concept of the podcast is, is: smart businesses do this. And I think you're an exemplary example, and one of the reasons I wanted you here of a smart person who who does this. And you just objections don't exist.
1: Yeah, and I think that that is, I think it's true because they don't to me. It's someone telling me how the, how it doesn't fit for them, and then I, it, to me, it's just like a restaurant choice. And I just go to the next, oh, okay, well, that doesn't fit. How does this fit? And I think one of the ways that I learned this was it's, it's probably been nature for me to want to, to do that. I probably have a certain nature in that. But I don't, um, I don't take things terribly personally. Mm-hmm. And I'm always focused on the objective goal. And it, I understand that a goal is like a sunset. You can chase it. and It's always over the horizon. You're never actually going to catch the sun. And every piece of geography you meet between the sunset and you, you're gonna need a different strategy for. So it might be, you might be chasing the sun across the water and then across land, then across a mountain range. As a young person, I was fortunate enough to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. One of the great things about Mount Kilimanjaro is there are six ways up it. (laughs) You determine what path you're going to take based upon who you're taking to the top. If you have a a tremendously strong athlete, you can take the Coca-Cola route and run up Mount Kilimanjaro in a day—twenty-nine thousand feet. Most people do not do that. In fact, (laughs) that same route is actually used as an evacuation route primarily. Got it. But there's a five-day route, and a four-day route, and a seven-day route, so that you can get you can get there. And I think that business decisions are like that. That if you see an objection. Uh, in yourself, that's that—that's probably you. It's probably not the objection. Um, and there's nothing wrong with pausing. What is dangerous is emotionally reacting out of fear, and that's what you're talking about when a person says, "Oh, but wait! Uh, uh, I—why uh, do you want to do that?" Uh. <laughs> I'm not, after 300 campaigns in a zillion years on the planet, I'm not ever one worried about being fired because I know that the ultimate, at the end of every account, I'm fired. Mm -hmm. I get them very successful. They sell to a large corporation and then they go off to Whedon and Kennedy or like, you know, they go to McCann and Erickson or some global firm, but I got them there and I took my stock along the way. So I'm not, I'm never in, in operating from a position of pain. I'm always op- operating from a position of informed power.
0: Love it. I absolutely love it, Ron. There's so much in this. I, you know, I, I truly hope that, that the people listening are really getting so much out of this. If, um, if you had to start again from scratch, you had no relationships, no, you know, let's just uh, imagine we drop you off somewhere where you just don't know anyone um, in some alternate dimension where Ron Lynch hasn't existed before. And you, you had to pick this up from the beginning. You had to start completely from scratch. Would you start as a grocery manager uh, or would you would you do something different? Um, I, I probably wouldn't have done that
1: as long, but I'll tell you, I that career only lasted from the age of about 24 to the age of 32. So I did it pretty rapidly. I ascended pretty rapidly. I learned a lot about Business mechanics and sourcing products and uh, supply chain and real estate and contracts and different departments and computer programming. Because I did some computer programming around the grocery industry. So um, everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. I'm not disappointed for the route that I took. Um, it was extremely painful for me emotionally yeah. because it's not, it, I was not exactly living my dream. But I ended up um, in a really great, uh, I'll say, my experiences led to a a palette of experiences and talents that I don't think I could have gotten another way. So, yeah, it
0: probably would have been. (laughs) I love love that. All right, so uh, we're getting towards the end. Uh, Something I do want to ask you, obviously, the title of the podcast is smart businesses do this. What do you think smart businesses should do? Uh, one
1: is make sure you have the four core principles of business correct before you get started. And those four core principles are, do you have an innovation? Does your, does your business or product truly bring something different to the world? Because if you do not have an innovation, you probably have a commodity. And that means you are probably going to get into the business of selling against price and shininess. And that is a very difficult Field because it means you're already getting into a crowded field. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather sell black sheep than white sheep. And if I could find striped sheep, I'd sell those. (laughs) Zebra sheep sound cool. Yep. So have an innovation. Then the second is make sure there's a margin. So many people get into a business that doesn't have an actual margin in it. And you see that a lot. Lot online of people like, hey, I did six figures. I did seven figures. I did eight figures. That impresses me not at all. There are people that are doing seven and eight figures that aren't making $150,000 out of the business because there's no fricking margin in it. And there's people that are doing cash businesses that are doing 200 grand a year that are taking all that money home for a lot less effort. So do you have margin? Then three is really the fuel for it. Is there an audience? Does anybody want this product? If there's no audience, don't get in the business. I to often tell the story about the guy who came into my office where the dog dishes that were shaped like toilets because dogs like to drink out of the toilet. Like we're not making porcelain dog dishes that look like toilets. And he goes, the "Dogs love it." It's so funny. I'm like, "Yeah, nobody's gonna." The number of people that will say, "I want that joke," because that's really a novelty product. No, that's not going to happen. And conversely, I had Kid Rock walk walk into my office with the most amazing barbecue that he had hand welded and cut from motorcycle parts with exhaust pipes and flames. And I mean, this thing was unbelievable Mm -hmm. and it was a $10,000 barbecue. I'm like, yeah, but I can only sell 300 of those in the U S this isn't a mass market product. we got to get the cost of this down to 500 bucks to a thousand bucks. So that wasn't real. There was no audience for it. So you have to find that sweet spot. And then the last is what you you are responsible for as a business owner. And every business owner, by the way, is a marketer. I don't care if you're a lawyer, a doctor, a tennis coach. You might be a shitty marketer, but you're a marketer. (laughs) Yeah. Number one, we're all in the sales business. So number four is the responsibility you have is story. Can you provide story? creative, intelligent, cohesive story as a storyteller that lets the audience self-identify in the mirror, see the need through the innovation, and accept the price based on the margins you must collect to run the business. If you do all of that brilliantly, you can get out of the marketing business because your customers will be so satisfied, they will become your marketing arm. Your advertising costs will plummet and your sales will
0: skyrocket. Ron, I absolutely love this. If uh, listeners want to find out more from you or, or, you know, learn more about you, where's the best way for them to go?
1: Um, Ron Lynch marketing. That would be the easiest thing. If you want it, that, that, that'll that lead you to be a student at the marketing mercenary. course I teach. Um, I only do it a couple times a year. You can Google me based on those words, Ron Lynch marketing. You'll see plenty of
0: stuff pop up. Most of Perfect. it's true. <laughs> I love it. Ron, thank you so much for tuning in today. Everyone go check it out. Get on the Google, type in Ron Lynch Marketing. And uh, thank you once again for joining us.
1: Thank you, my friend.
0: Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my smart blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.